2022. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody watching online or listening on a podcast right now. I believe God can reach you and do something in you wherever you are at right now. Uh, but I'm so thankful to be with the people of God in this room at the same time. Today we are starting the 100-Day Dare. Actually, it started yesterday, so I hope you guys are keeping up with your Bible reading program. The good thing about uh, that portion of the dare is it's only a chapter or two. So if you miss, you can easily catch back up. So you should have read Genesis 1 and 2 already yesterday, and I believe it's Genesis 3 today. Uh, so what I'm going to be doing throughout this series and throughout the 100 days is I'm going to be preaching a message that goes along with the reading that we will read. And so I have to pick somewhere because we move pretty quick through the reading, so I'm going to pick somewhere. And so I just want to start off at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's the very beginning of the Bible, and many of us know this scripture because it's, just, it's the start. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. How many of you guys like new beginnings? Anybody like new beginnings? I mean, that's what we think about when it's, it's a brand new year. It's a new beginning. Why do we like new beginnings? Because sometimes we can drift into places in our life that maybe we wish we hadn't drifted into. And so we like a new beginning. And so we do the New Year's resolutions and we want to start off something. By the way, how many of you guys are new resolution people? Anybody? New Year resolution? No, raise your hand. Bold and brave. I mean, own it. You need accountability. That's what you need right now. All right, like three people. Like, what happened? Some of you guys, and, and the reason why a lot of us don't do New Year's resolutions is because maybe we tried and it didn't work. But actually, statistics say that about 25% of Americans do New Year's resolutions. So if you're in the 25, uh, you are, I mean, that's, there's a lot of people with you. And a lot of the reasons why people make New, Year, New Year's resolutions are like self-improvement resolutions. So they, they say, according to one article, uh, 23% make some resolution to live healthier uh, in some way, 21% make a resolution that's aimed towards them living happier in some way, 20% losing weight, that's a big one, right? So we have all the gyms that'll be full right now. Actually, not, not, not necessarily because only 7% commit to exercising. And we wonder why <laughs> maybe we don't meet some of our goals. Like 20%, I want to lose weight, but only 7% are like, I, I don't want to do anything. You know, I, I'd rather not do that, but uh, I still want to lose the weight. And so, in fact, we find that only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually achieve their resolution. And uh, because here's, here's what I want you to catch. A new year doesn't automatically make a new you. I want you to think about this. See, a lot of times we can, we can start to think, well, it's a new year. I'm going to do some new things so I, I can be a new me. But a new year doesn't automatically make you a new year because behavior modification without some internal changes doesn't mean a lot or it won't stay. See, we don't just need good resolutions. We need some God resurrections on the inside of us. Now, you guys were way too quiet for what I just said right there. We don't just need good resolutions. No, that's fine. Like, we, like I'm, I'm doing some things too. But, but in order for some real things to change in my life, in your life, what we need to have happen is that, that God resurrects something on the inside of us that then brings something outside of us. That then it's the inside that brings the outside. And so in the beginning, God did something. He created the heavens and the earth, and he creates all of these things. You can read through, and you are, hopefully you already read through you know, all the things God created. You know, And he goes through night and day, sun and moon, all this stuff. We get to the end of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, and it says this. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Everybody say, very good. It was very good. All right? And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. So it says, it was good. Now, that word good is actually the Hebrew word tov. And tov, it, it just means that. It means goodness or good. And it's used several times throughout that chapter, even in chapter one. You have, you know, God saw it and it was tov. God saw it and it was tov. God made it and it was tov. And it's, it occurs in some form on almost like 700 times in the Bible, in scripture. And, and we know this, that God actually is tov, right? That God is good. We, we see this occur over and over again. Taste and see that the Lord is 
tov. Uh, it, it talks about that goodness or tov pursues you all the days of your life. Then we go over into the New Testament and we see a derivative of that. We see the Greek word and we even have in the fruit of the Spirit where we have one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness or tovness, we could say, uh, as, as a way to relate to it. And then we, we all want to get to the end of our life where God comes to us and he says, well done, what? Tov, good and faithful servant. This word tov is very much connected to God and to his beginnings, and, and we see it all over the place. So then we go to Genesis chapter 2. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man, the man whom he had formed. And so God makes all of these things, and he says it's tov, and he makes all these good things, these tov things, and he places man in the garden. But how many of you guys know that things started to unravel pretty quickly, right, in the story. The things started to not be so tove after that. And first we see some hints of that even before sin happened in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God looks and for the first time God sees Adam and he says, it's not good that you're alone. It's not tove. And so he, he takes... Adam, and we, we know we'll look at this in a little bit, but then uh, creates woman and he places them together. Why? Because something wasn't tov. And then we know that sin came into the world and it was not tov, right? Everybody just say not tov. Okay, sin comes, not tov. That was not good, right? And, and other things. And so then they hid themselves and they lost their identity before God in Genesis chapter three, verse eight. How many of you guys know that's not tov? Everybody say not tov. That's not Tov either. Then all of a sudden the ground was cursed as part of it and they lost their, they had a broken purpose because they were supposed to tend to it and they had dominion over it and then that was broken and it was lost to Satan. The dominion was handed over. Everybody say, not Tov. It was not Tov. Then we, we go on and we see that they're kicked out of Eden in Genesis chapter three, verse 23. They lost their place. Everybody say, not Tov. And all of these things that happened in the garden where God made it good and then it became not tov are all connected to things we talked about back in November with what this 100-day dare is all about. And it's the power of place. You know, God created a place that they got kicked out of. The power of identity. God created them with an identity that they ended up losing. The power of purpose. God gave them a purpose and a task in the garden that they end up being, it was altered. Uh, and then the power of a family where God says, it's not good that you don't have a family. So he places them in a family, but then they got disconnected from their heavenly family. So all of these things are happening in our story and in God's big story. And so what you could say as you look all the way through the Bible and you look all the way through what God is doing as we look forward, God is on this rescue mission through, through Jesus. We'll look at it in just a second. The whole purpose, one could say, is almost to re-Eden humanity. Or we could say it this way, to re-tove the world. This is what God is working towards. His whole big plan has been to re-tove the world. That everything about what he created in Eden that was Tov, we're working back towards. So that one day the world will be Tov again. In fact, we see John chapter 1, verse 1. It's interesting because it uses the same starting phrase as Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning. Now we know that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So we know even at the very beginning that at the very beginning, at creation, so we can tie John 1.1 and Genesis 1.1 together and Jesus was right there at creation. Jesus was at the ready from the very beginning when creation happened that God doesn't cause all things but God knows all things and he, and he, he had Jesus at the ready from the very beginning Knowing that things were tov, not tov, Jesus was going to come and be a doorway back to tov, but it was still going to take a little while. And so that we can go all the way at the end. In fact, you know, we talk about good news. You know, the Gospels are good news. That word good is also out of, ultimately connected with that Hebrew word tov. And so we go to the end of the book, almost to the end, in the second to last chapter in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here in the end, we see God working towards what was a garden now becoming a city to make everything tove again. And when they, they were with God in the garden, Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with God had the power of place, the power of identity, the power of purpose, and the power of family. All of a sudden we see in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Remember, God used to hang out with them in the garden, right? And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the conclusion of what God is working towards. That everything was tove, became not tove. God made a tove way for us to come back to him that is tove news that comes back to at the end, everything is made tove again. That's where this is all heading. And that's where God is working towards. Now, there's a lot that happens in there. There's a lot that happens in our first few chapters this week. By the end of this week, we'll read all the way up to Abraham. But to give us a recap of this, uh, I'm going to bring in, you know what I'm doing, I'm bringing in the Bible Project so we can watch cartoons on Sunday morning and get us a recap of what we're getting ready to read to recap the next few chapters. So let's watch. The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential to care for it and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves, and in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are now. They can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God. And then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now, right here, the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. 
God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled. And what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods, and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about. All right, so that's what we're getting ready to read about this week. And that tells us, it sets the stage for what God is doing and what is actually happening. So if God is trying to retove the world and set things right and make things fully tove again or good again, what does that look like? How do we participate in that? What is God doing in all of that? And I think to understand that, maybe it's best for us to go back and to understand some of the things and the purposes that God did before things were not good. Some of the things that God did on purpose in the garden, on purpose when things were good. And they're going to tie right in with our 400-day dare 
topics that we're talking about as far as identity and purpose and all of these things. And the first one is this, that God gave them an identity to guide their decisions. God gave them an identity. So their decisions were supposed to be rooted in their Not just good identity, but God identity. So we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, what? He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made them in his image with his identity. Okay, I want you to catch this because this is, it's so important. Because if, you, if we want to work with God to work towards Tove, then what we do is we plug back into the things that God did at the beginning, that he was doing at the beginning. And, and one of these things is rooting our identity back in God. See, their identity was supposed to be so rooted in them that when it came time to make a decision for good or for evil, they defaulted back to their identity, not anything else. But we know that didn't happen, and it was not tov. So Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They were supposed to go back to their identity in God, but they chose a different way. But, but how it's supposed to work is that God was going to form and inform their identity because they were made in God's image. And, and I want you to see this. It, it's almost like this. If Adam and Eve would have looked in the mirror, they would have resembled God. And I want you to see that in some ways, now now you can get crazy with this, but in some ways, when you look in the mirror, there ought to be a God resemblance there that you ought to look like your Father in heaven in some sort of way. Maybe not externally, but you ought to be able to see something by faith that says, I resemble, I know where I came from. I have an identity in God. There's a resemblance there. I have, I bear, I'm an image bearer of God, Imago Dei. I'm an image bearer of God that I'm so connected with where I came from that it informs where I'm going. And is anybody getting this today? I, I was uh, listening to a guy, a pastor out of California, Erwin McManus, and, and he was talking about this, how one day somebody came up to him because he talked about, you know, you look at the, the language of God in the Bible, and it's always talking about God as Father, God as Father, God as Father. And this person was really upset, like, well, why is God represented as Father in Scripture? Why not Mother or Other or something else? And they had a really big problem with God being represented as Father. And, and you know, today we can kind of get into that sometimes. They're like, well, why is God Father? And he, he, he said, well, I know this may be hard to believe, but, but in that day, fathers were actually popular, <laughs> It was actually a good thing to be called a father. And, and what's happened is we've lost that. And the reason why people struggle with God being called father is because when we think of father, we think of our natural father. And most of us, in some way or the other, have some imperfection to say it at best with our natural father. Somebody know what I'm talking about. So then we try to look at our heavenly father through our natural father, and we end up falling short. We end up having a problem with it. But God designed us in such a way that we would be connected with where we came from so that we should be connected. That's why it's hard for so many people to disconnect from their natural family and from their natural, the issues that have happened in your family is because God designed you in such a way that it would somehow at least in some way inform who you are. And you may have to work through that or accept certain parts of that, but, but it's, it's intertwined. And so Pastor Irwin said that, uh, I mean, now he's, he's in his 60s, I believe, and, and a friend of his was going back to El Salvador where he came from, and Erwin and never knew where his father, never knew his father. His father took off, and he had this thought. He was like, I wonder if I can hire a, another private detective to try to figure out who my father was. And here, all these years later, now that he's a father and a grandfather, he, and his dad left and wasn't a good father, and yet he's still trying to figure out who his father was. And he shouldn't even want to figure out who his father was because of all that happened. But it just shows you how deep of a connection those things are. And he still wants to know even though he shouldn't want to know. Why? Because somehow our identity is wired up to be connected with where we came from. And we can deviate from that. And because of sin, it becomes problem, problematic. But you know our identity is supposed to be informed by God, right? Right? And so he gave them 
an identity that should, form, you know, should inform their decisions. And it wasn't supposed to be their fears. It wasn't supposed to be their desires. It wasn't supposed to be their wishes, their wants, their emotions. It was supposed to be their identity in him. Can I just tell you, if we want to get back to Tove, then our identity in him ought to inform how we live our life. Our identity in him ought to form our decisions, not our wishes, not our wants, not our fears, not, our, not even our natural family, because we, we have been connected to the heavenly father, no matter what happened in your natural family. And so we go back to that. You want to be a part of making the world tove again and cooperating with what God is doing, then we come back and we connect our identity to him, and he informs our decisions. The second thing we see is that God gave them a task that was connected to their purpose. Again, this is all when things are good in the garden. He gave them a task that was connected to their purpose. What's the task? All right, let's find out what their task was when things were good. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, then, it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, watch that. To work it and keep it. He gave them a job to do. Now, some people will say, yeah, but when sin came into the world, you know, God cursed, you know, this whole idea of, you know, the sweat of the brow and all that type of stuff. So work is cursed. So I don't want to go to work tomorrow because work is cursed, okay? <laughs> can, I, can I just show you that work is not actually cursed? It's not work that's cursed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, and he said to Adam, this is after sin, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of, of which I commanded of you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Cursed, in the, cursed was the ground. Work was not cursed. Work, God commanded them to work even before sin. God created you to do something is what he's saying. He created you for a purpose. Work is not bad. God created you to be a part of something, cultivating something. And so he was, even before sin, Adam was supposed to work. He was supposed to, he named the animals. He worked, he tended to the garden, he named animals. Why? All of this task that God gave him was connected to his ultimate purpose. What was Adam's ultimate purpose? All right, we, we know that as well. Adam's ultimate purpose is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, here's their purpose, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Can somebody say have dominion? This is their purpose. They are supposed to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over everything that God created, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, that's when things were good. Their purpose was to have dominion. What happened when things were not tove? They lost that. They lost their purpose. But God created them with a purpose but he gave them a task that was connected to their purpose. Here's what I want you to see right now. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you need to be looking for the tasks that God sets before you that are connected to your purpose. Now, here's the problem with that. A lot of people just want to go straight to purpose. Well, I want to have dominion. I want to be fruitful and multiple. I want to, I want to do all. I want to be sitting there, and, and I, I have a picture of what my purpose is, but listen, sometimes God doesn't give you answers. Sometimes God just gives you something to do. And if you're just waiting for all the answers, and if you're waiting for the, all these end game situations to happen, you won't get to your purpose. What, you, what I want you to see is that God many times will give you a task that's connected to your purpose. But so many of us don't want to do the task because it doesn't seem connected. So I even just think about my own life. I knew even from when I was 12, 13 years old that I was called into ministry. I know that sounds weird as, a, you know, not even a teenager yet and just feeling that sense. But I, I grew up through my teen years just knowing that. But it didn't seem like there was a way for me to, to do that. I, I didn't know how to do that. And so what did I do? In my teen years, I, start, I went and I started to clean the youth room when no one was there. I felt like God was speaking to me to do that. Like that wasn't anything, I, I wasn't up preaching, I wasn't doing anything connected with what seemed like my purpose. But God gave me a task that was connected to my purpose. 
So I would do that even though no one saw, but I knew that God saw, and it didn't matter because I was being obedient to the task that was connected to my purpose. I, I remember working on uh, the job. I was working construction at the time, and it, was, it wasn't fun all the time, but I remember specifically God telling me certain days. I remember having conversations with God, and I knew what I was called to do. I knew what my purpose was, you could say, but God, I remember having conversations with God, and he was like, I need you to have a good attitude today. This doesn't seem connected to my purpose, but it ultimately was. Because there were going to be days, no matter what, that I needed to be able to choose God's way, not my way. And God was forming me, preparing me for my purpose, but he does it by giving tasks that many times don't seem connected, but are connected. So here's the question. What tasks are in front of you right now that don't seem connected, but you have that nudge from God? that just may be connected to your purpose because this is what God does. And if you want to cooperate with him, this is maybe a way to do that. All right, number three, what else did he do? God put them in a family so that they wouldn't do life alone. God said, it's not tov that you're alone. So Genesis chapter two, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good, not tov. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so he puts us in a spiritual family. Can you see how all these things are designed and are connected to what we're doing with 100 Day Dare? How, how I mean, we talk about purpose. We talk about serving outside of ourselves. We, we talk about uh, family. We talk about getting in a dare group. If you're not in a dare group, listen, this, if you want to cooperate with what God is doing, what do we do? We look at what God did in the beginning. He said, it's not good that you're alone. Can I just tell you right now, if you're following Jesus, it is not good to follow Jesus alone. And just showing up at the event of church is not community. It's better than nothing. And I believe, listen, I believe that God does something in his presence and by his power when we gather that he does in no other environment. But, it's, but he still asks us to be in community outside of this environment. So what I wanna do is I wanna highlight this for just a second. I'm gonna have Pastor Aaron come up and talk really quickly about some things God has shown him. Give him a big hand as he comes up and talks about this. Yeah, so what I wanna do is just for just a minute, I wanna share the importance of being connected and in, in two ways. So number one, Pastor Sean just talked about uh, the importance of being connected with others as opposed to just coming to a big event or a weekend service. And then I also want to talk about the importance of being connected to a group that is itself connected to something bigger that God's doing. Because how many of you guys know we all have, uh, hopefully, we all have friends, we all have acquaintances, we have people we know, people we get together and do things with, play board games with, watch movies with, things like that. But so what I'm talking about is being a part of a group that is connected to something that God is doing that is bigger than that group in and of itself. Does that make sense? So um, yesterday, my family and I were reading through uh, the first day of the 100-Day Dare Bible Plants. We were all sitting around reading through this, and I hit on one, of, on one verse in the plan, and my brain just instantly went to this idea of groups. And it's so Genesis 1.12, it says, the, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So you have probably heard me share the quote that says, uh, God will reveal I'm getting this not exactly right, but God reveals certain aspects of his nature only through relationships with others. There are certain aspects of the nature of God that we only get in connection with other people. That doesn't mean that God's withholding or that anything like that. It just means that God wants us to be connected and there are certain aspects of God, his goodness, his personality, the way he works that we only experience when we get connected with other people and we begin to build relationship, friendship, and community with a group of people. It's just how the kingdom of God works and it's how the family of God works. God doesn't want to have millions of only children. He wants to have a family. And so if you're not connected in a group, then, you are, then you're just 
flat out missing some of the nature and the goodness of God. And here's the other, the other part, the other side of the coin I wanted to talk about was it's also important to be connected with a group that is connected to something bigger that God is doing. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Jesus illustrated this in John 15, and he described the kingdom of God being like vines and branches, everything all interconnected to each other. So what we're doing right now is we are starting out in this thing called a 100-day dare. Now, you guys, God spoke this and, and unpacked this to Pastor Sean. Uh, I don't know, two months ago or something like that. It's been a little while. But God gave him the vision for this thing that we're doing right now. He didn't give it to me or the elders or anything else. He gave it to Pastor Sean. As soon as Pastor Sean talked to me about it, my spirit confirmed. It's like, yes, that is a God thing. That is a God thing. But I'm connected to him and people are connected to me, and God is doing a thing through a connection of people. And these groups that we are starting, DARE groups, are groups that are connected to the vision that God has given this church for this season. And so you can participate in the 100-day dare by reading the Bible, the Bible reading plan, by uh, consistently attending on the weekend services, by choosing to serve somewhere during this 100 days. But if you don't participate by getting into a group, and I want to be, I'm not trying to strong arm you or pressure you or anything like that. I just, I have a real strong desire to see everybody benefit from this. And I know God is going to do an amazing thing. And I told Pastor Sean, I just wanted to share with you guys what I've seen all my life, even from being a kid uh, when my parents led small groups, home groups. I saw so many times people coming into our home, getting together, reading the Bible, getting set free from things, uh, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, giving their life to Jesus. You just see firsthand the kingdom of God in action. And then, uh, you know, we have real life groups here at Journey Church that are now dare groups. But my wife Sarah and I, we've, we've, had and we've hosted and led real life groups many times. And we've seen people filled with the Spirit. We had two different ladies who, who couldn't have children, and we prayed for them. And they have children now, and we, we took people to the hospital. We prayed for people in the, in the hallways of hospitals, all from our real-life group. And we just saw God move so many times in so many different ways. And again, it goes back to that quote that I was saying. There are some aspects of the nature of God you only experience in relationship with other people. These are all things that happened because we formed a group, we got together, we shared community, fellowship, relationship, friendship, broke bread together if you want to get old church about it. But we saw God move and God shows up. And so DARE groups is your open door. We have available groups we have groups that have room. There's no reason. We have groups on every single day of the week. And so there is an opportunity for you to get involved, if you're not already, in a DARE group and participate in what God's doing. I don't think I understand completely everything that he wants to accomplish in these 100 days, but it feels so significant and so powerful, and uh, I'm excited about it. So get into a DARE group. Awesome. God wants you to, to get connected with what he's doing. I believe that with all my heart. So I, what I want to do is just take just a moment. If you are a DARE group leader, would you just stand up right now just so we can, uh, just so everybody can see uh, some of these leaders? Remember, this is just one of our three services. So this doesn't represent all of our group leaders. Uh, this is just some of them. All right, so look around, and you can see some of these faces. You may know some of these people. Uh, some of these groups are still open. Some of them maybe have already filled up. Now, I also want to do uh, something else. If, you're, if you've already committed to go to a D.A.R.E. group, would you also stand? If you're saying, I'm going to go to a D.A.R.E. group, go ahead and stand up. If you're going to a D.A.R.E. group, we just want to kind of see where, where you're at. Okay, all right. Now, 
This is not designed to put pressure on those of you who are still seat, sitted, sitting, but, but is it working? Um, <laughs> you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. <laughs> so if you're not connected yet, or even online, what I wanna do is, is we've got a QR code. If you can go ahead and put that up. You can right now, just take out your phone right now and just uh, put the camera on right there and it will take you to a link right there where you can get signed up right now. So you should be getting out your phone right now if that's you. If you're not connected, thank you guys for participating. Get out your phone and even just humor me and just put it, hold up your phone even if you're not doing it. Um, this can work at home too. Actually, I haven't tried it, so I don't know if it works. I'm sure somebody tried this to make sure it works. But that will take you right there where you can get signed up for a group because God wants us to be a part of a spiritual family and he puts us in a spiritual family. I want you to see this even further. We can just leave this up, give you time to do that. And yes, you can even listen to me right now and go ahead and sign up. It's really easy. It doesn't take long. You know, it takes you just like 30 seconds to sign up for that and it'll send us an email and we'll get you connected. Genesis chapter two, verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, upon the man and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place of his flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. So he's putting the, together a family. He brought her to the man and then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She called, so he, he called her woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, we think a lot of this scripture about marriage, you know, they shall leave, uh, you know, leave and cleave, it says in another translation. Some of you guys old school, it says leave and cleave. So he placed them uh, into a family. Do you realize that family was created, God created family even before he created the church? Why? Because family ultimately becomes a foundation for any church. You, you, you can, you, because God creates us as a spiritual family. He wants us to get this. It's not an event. It's a, it's a spiritual family. And so it, it's, it's something that God created. And, and it's, it, it's what he did at the very, very beginning. And it's so important for us to understand that he calls us to leave and cleave. I was talking with my son who's now married. He's, you know, a year and a half, going on two years. It goes, time goes by quick. But we were talking about something the other day, and, and he said this. He goes, uh, Dad, I, I would never let you do that. And he was talking about something that, that he felt like would have been a parental overreach on my part now that he's married. And I said, I looked at him, I said, Sean, I would never do that to you because I understand that you have left and cleft. And uh, whatever that means, you have left and cleft. And uh, I have a certain role in your life now, but my role has changed and I would never uh, do that. And, and uh, it was just interesting because I thought about that later, that God is so big on the formation of family in the natural that he says that you are to leave and cleave, that there's a separation that happens. You're leaving one thing and you're cleaving to something new. And there are certain, there are certain breaking points, there are certain lines that, that, that God wants us to leave one family and go to a new family. Now here's what I want you to see. This is what God wants us to do or to have happen in our lives whenever we leave our old life and we come to new life in him. It's like we're leaving one family one way, and he wants us to fully leave and cleave and to be a part. Now, here's the problem. Some of us don't know how to leave the old life. Some of us haven't fully cleaved to the new life. So we've got one foot in and one foot out. We've got, we're, we're straddling the fence. Well, I go to church. Are you leaving and cleaving? Are you, are you all in to the spiritual family? Are you all in to the things God is doing? Because some of us don't know how to, we, we, we don't know what a new family is supposed to look like. Some of us in the natural, we don't know what a new family is supposed to look like. But listen, some of us in the spiritual, we don't know what a new family is supposed to look like. That's why some of us struggle to connect with a spiritual family. Because we, we haven't understood how important family is to God and the idea of leaving and cleaving. All right, so God puts them in family. All right, number four is this. God created a place. I want you to catch this. God created a place for them to live out their calling. Genesis chapter two, verse eight. We've already read this, but we'll see it again. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. How important is place? Well, even before people, God started with place. Not saying it's more important than people, but I am saying it is important. Because God thought it was important. 
And so what God does is he plants this, this franchise of heaven in Eden, this colony of heaven with people and what looks like heaven, he plants there. And uh, you know, I've heard it said this way before, but the, the actual word Eden literally means delight. So God places his delight there. He plants this franchise of heaven. He creates this place for them to live out their calling. He, you know, he could have placed them anywhere, but he places them in Eden on the planet Earth. Okay? Eden wasn't all the planet Earth, but he placed them specifically there, and he placed them specifically in the garden, and he, he planted the garden. He placed them in the garden, and I want you to see this. They had authority. They had dominion. They had purpose in the place and the territory and the boundaries to which God had placed them in. So he starts them there, and he gives them a territory almost. It's really interesting how, how he does this, but he gives them some, some authority and the, and the place that God, he connects the two things. Now, what, you could take this too far, but I really want to say this because I've heard this many, many years, and I really believe it's true. Your destiny has a geography, God has a place for you to be. Can you live out your purpose anywhere? I believe God can work all things together for good. But has God ordained a geography for your destiny? I also believe he has. And I do believe that there are certain things that God opened doors, certain amounts of authority and possibilities that God plants in a place. I believe that your destiny has a geography, and you may or may not be in the right place right now. I, I don't know if you are, if you're in the right place, but I'm saying that if you do know, let's just take this church, for example. If you know you're in the right church right now in this season of your life, if you know that you're in the right place, then I want you to understand God placed you here for a reason. I want you to understand that God has a destiny in this place because he's placed you at this geography at this, at this place, at this time. And if you know that's true, that God has planted you in this place and that you're in the right place, then it's time to get about the kingdom business in the place where God has placed you. I don't know what we're waiting for, is what I'm saying. Because your, your destiny has a geography to it. And, and I want you to, because you know, some of us are discouraged. Well, I don't know how. I don't know how to flourish in this place. Let me show you one more thing, and then we're done. Uh, two scriptures here, Genesis chapter two, verse five. It says, when there was no bush in the field, when no bush in the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. Okay, get that, the ground, God has planted a garden. How many of you guys have ever planted a garden before, right? What do you do with the garden? You place seed in the ground. So God placed seed in the ground. There's no bushes that sprung up. There's no plants. There, there, there's nothing like that. For nothing has sprung up yet. It's like the springtime of creation. Nothing has sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. All right, skip down to uh, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But I want you to see there, and I, I saw this a couple years ago. It's actually written in my Bible when I, when I was, wrote it down, and I saw that. I always wonder, I always had this picture of creation, like when God spoke all these things, that, that he spoke the world as we see it right now. Like, like in one sense, like there's trees and there's, you know, all this type of stuff. But what this is indicating to us is that when God spoke things into existence, he didn't speak out trees and all this stuff. He spoke seeds. And that when God created the earth, he created the earth in seed form. I want you to think about how important that is. When God created everything and it was good, it was in seed form. Because this is how God works. Whenever God does new beginnings, he does it in seed form. And the seed form is good, whether you think it is or not. The seed form is God, whether you think it is or not. And so in your life, in this new year, in this season, if you're in the place where God has placed you, maybe God is doing something in your life, but maybe it's in seed form. And your job is he's gonna place you in that garden, just like Adam, and you're there to tend to it. God's gonna water it, but you're there to tend to it. So it's time for us to tend the ground. It's time for us to get busy about the what the Father's doing. So I'm gonna have the worship team come back up
but I want you to see this power of place, power of identity, power of purpose, power of family. We talked about it back in November, which by the way, if you missed that message, you have to listen to it. No options, <laughs> go back and listen to it. But he did this in the early church. He did this with the people of Israel. As we'll read through the story, I want you to do this. As we read through the 100-day dare, I want you to look for these elements in, in all these stories. In the, the promised land story, God created a place for the people. He created them as an identity. You will see this pattern over and over and over again. God is working back towards Tov. God is trying to retove the world. He places his identity in us, and he puts us in a place. So what I'm saying is if he puts you in this city, you're here for a reason. If he put you in this church, you're here for a reason. My dad, many of you guys have heard his story, but when uh, he, he was, before he was saved, he was an alcoholic, on drugs, homeless, hippie. <laughs> Lost. But even while he was out in some other state, on drugs, not, I mean, as far from God as you could possibly be. One day he heard God speak to him. He didn't really know what that was like, but he heard God speak to him and God told him this. He said, you were born in Missouri for a reason. You were born in Missouri for a reason. I have placed you somewhere and you're not where you should be. So he went back to Missouri. He encountered God in a little country church at a revival, married my mom, got saved, all this stuff, and now there's generations now that are being formed who all love and serve God and are being missionaries and starting churches and thriving businesses and, and making disciples and all sorts of things because God said you were born in this place for a reason. And what I'm saying is, if you are here, I just gotta, just gotta think that God's got you here for a reason. He's got a vocation, a calling, a job for you to do a spiritual family to connect with. And so this year, let's fully step into it. It's not a New Year's resolution, not that those are bad, but let's let God do some resurrection moments on the inside of us that then affect us on the outside, amen? Would you guys stand up with me and I'll pray over us and then we'll worship again. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our place, in our heart, in our lives, in this family, in our families. Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing to retove the world, to, to make it right again. Lord, we live in this fallen world at this time, but we can see you breaking through. We can see your goodness breaking through. Lord, I, I declare over this church, over these people, that we are a part, we want to be a part of what you're doing to retove the world. We want to be a part of what you're doing to connect back to your purposes, your identity, your family, and the place where you've called us. And Lord, I just declare that over us. Do something deep in us as we kick this off this year in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.